0: Would you take out your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 1? We'll be looking at verses 19 through 30. For those of you that are struggling to get your Bibles out from under the chairs and the hymnals, in time, Lord willing, we'll have those rows back closer together. Will you be able to? Get those from the front seat instead of right underneath you there. We're in Philippians, a series. Thank you. I'll start with the verse prior to it so that we have a flow going into the portion that we're covering today. Verse number 18, continuing now in the holy word of God. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit And now hear that I still have. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do want to live lives that are worthy of the gospel of Christ. We do want to stand firm in these perilous times with one spirit, with one mind, contending side by side, for the faith of the gospel. Help us now this morning to be strengthened and equipped. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. The title of this message is Politics and the Gospel of Christ. Many hearing that title are groaning inwardly. (laughs) At the dinner table, you're not really supposed to talk about politics or religion. And for many, politics and religion, or politics, and the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, do not mix in the worship service. However, I want us to grow in biblical literacy. I want to maintain right now that such a view that politics and the gospel, or politics and religion, don't, don't mix in the worship service or in the sanctuary. To help us along, I want to have a little teaching moment our key verse this morning is where I'm going to go with this little teaching moment. Our key verse is verse number 27. Will you draw your attention there so that you can follow along with your finger and with your eyes? You see here where it says, only let your manner of life, especially let's look at that word manner of life, but only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's the crux of our message, this verse. The very first phrase says, only let your manner of life, your manner of life. Many of you who have an ESV Bible in your hands, and you're not using the one that's there under your chair, the pew Bible, will have a footnote below. Almost all ESV translations have this footnote. Some will elaborate on that footnote a little bit more. And here's what it has to say about that phrase, let your manner of life, your manner of life of life the footnote reads this only behave as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ the reason why that is the direct greek translation because the footnote says the greek is let your your politics or your citizenship Be worthy of the gospel. Behave in keeping with what it means to be a citizen. The Greek word actually is polytyomai. It's a verb. Polytyomai. It means to behave as a citizen. Polytyomai. Politics. You see how you get that word. Politics. In fact, when later on in verse, uh, well, Verse, uh, or chapter 3, verse 20, where Paul talks about our citizenship, because when we're talking about citizenship, what kind of citizenship is Paul talking about, that we're supposed to be, behave as citizens? In, in chapter 3, verse 20, he talks about our citizenship. He calls it polytuma. Do you see how politics and that Greek word, they tie together? The way we behave as citizens is a Reflection on what it means to be living in a way politically correct. According to what? We're citizens. Our politics is in keeping with the citizenship that we have with the kingdom of heaven, with the kingdom of God. That is where our primary political platform resides. It's with the kingdom of God in keeping with what it means to be a citizen of that kingdom. Now live that life as citizens in a way that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that got you there in the first place to be a citizen. Worthy of the gospel of Christ, I want to deepen some dimples. Half of this message is simply going to be a review on what you've already heard over the last few times I've been preaching. Let's review what is the gospel of. The gospel, in its essence, is there's a love story here. God, in His perfect love, has sent His Son to do something, and that is to save us. To save us from our sins, and to save us and rescue us from this perverted and twisted generation. That's the way the Apostle Paul called it in his day. A perverted and twisted generation. That's what you see in... uh, Uh, Chapter 2, verse number 15. Some translations say crooked and twisted generation. You've been saved from your sins and you've been rescued from this messed up generation and you have been ushered into the kingdom of God's beloved son where you find your citizenship. But don't forget that the sending of his son and the salvation that comes through him came at a great price. It was the cross of Calvary. That's where the Son accomplished our salvation, where the sins being forgiven uh, was accomplished for us. There, the cross of Calvary. And on the cross of Calvary, we see the ultimate expression of love expressed through Jesus, his tears, his suffering, his stripes, his agony. His separation from the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was this that accomplished our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. Now work in a, walk in a way that's worthy of that price. We're kingdom people now. We have a kingdom politics, a political agenda. Part of what's happening with this beautiful gift of grace, because it is all of God's grace, this gospel of God's grace, the salvation we have is because of him, because of God, not because of any merit of our own. God was intending to conform us to the image of his son. You, beloved brothers and sisters that are sitting in here right now, all of you that are calling upon Jesus Christ, God has his, his heart his affections, his mind upon you in such a way that he's conforming you to the image of his son. What are the characteristics of his son? What are the characteristics of what it means to be the, in the kingdom of God? Characteristics that are consistent with Jesus and with being a citizen. Three primary ones is what we talked about in the last few weeks love, holiness, and justice. Love. Being conformed to the image of God's Son. You're loved by God. You are called to love God. And you are called to live a life of love. Loving your neighbor. Living a life like Jesus. Being imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. And live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. To live a life of love. Holiness. Be holy, God says. For I am holy When I say holy this morning, biblically, what we're talking about is two things when we say holy, to be holy. One is to be set apart. You are called apart people, a set apart people from this wicked and adulterous generation. You are distinct from them. Come out from among them, God says, and be ye separate. Don't be soulmates with those who are lost. Friendships, of course. Acquaintances, of course, but not soulmates. Come out from among them and be separate. It also has to do with being pure and blameless. Holiness has to do with an internal cleansing, purity, being spotless and blameless. And then justice. As citizens of the kingdom of heaven and in keeping with the character of Jesus Christ, you're concerned with justice. In love and in holiness, we work for justice. We do what is right. We do what is just. Summing all that up, we live lives that are worthy of the cross, worthy of God's love, worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a kingdom politics, a political platform. We are called in Christ to advance God's kingdom, his glorious kingdom. We're here to advance and establish his kingdom as God works in us and through us. Our strategy is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the saving gospel of Jesus. We must share the gospel of Jesus Christ because no one can enter into the kingdom without first coming to know the king. We can't experience resurrection life and becoming new unless we meet the one who is the resurrection. We need Jesus. They need Jesus to be saved from their sins. There is no other way. We share the gospel so that people can be saved from their sins and enter into the kingdom of God. And we also, as God's kingdom people, we pray for and we work for the kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. What we proclaim as we proclaim and we live for the kingdom, we proclaim boldly, <clears throat> we proclaim loudly, and we'll see how Paul unpacks this in the in the letter of Philippians What do we proclaim preeminently with all this Jesus talk and the gospel? Here is what we uh, proclaim preeminently. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And he is ruling right now. He is ruling right now. Repent and turn to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Not only is he ruling, brothers and sisters, but we must be aware of this as kingdom people. God in Christ, through Christ, Christ is ruling now and he's ruling through the church. Will you turn back a few pages with me? Would you look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23? This is important. Let's not miss this. We're not waiting for Jesus to come back and rule and fix this mess. He's ruling right now. Looking at uh, 20. I'll start. Paul, typically, he's got like about things that are about like Ten sentences all put together in one sentence. (laughs) So somewhere we have to break in here. I'll start in right around 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? What is that place that's at the right hand of God Almighty? It's the throne. Jesus Christ is seated. He's enthroned at the right hand, the seat of power in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Did you notice how we began our service today as we we were giving praise to God And we were receiving from him his blessing, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits that are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, that's what it just said right here in Ephesians, raised from the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. He's ruling right now. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, right now, but also in the one to come. And he put all things, how is he ruling? He put all things under his feet, and he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. Do you see how God... Through Christ is accomplishing his massive kingdom of God's purposes. Jesus Christ is ruling from above. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is the head of the church, which is his very body. You're the body of Jesus Christ. and, And in you and through you, he is ruling and accomplishing his purposes. Although it may not seem like that at times, and we get so beset in our world today, and sometimes we feel so small and so weak and so inadequate, perish the thought. You are more than a conqueror through him who loved us. You are more than a conqueror. What does this ruling look like? Just a quick review. I am only going to talk about a couple points here. I'm just going to address a couple points here about what does it mean to live as kingdom people when it comes to um, the issues of the day. There are many that I could be speaking of, but I'm going to talk about just a few of the hot-button issues here, just briefly. What does it look like to live a life worthy of the gospel as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, advancing the kingdom? First of all, share the gospel, as we said but also, in Christ's love, look after widows and orphans in their distress and keep yourself from being polluted by the world. Have compassion. Reach out to the broken world, this messed up, broken, hurting world, but do it without being polluted. Remember that you are a holy people. Abortion, speak up for those that can't speak for themselves. Don't give up the fight, no matter how long this takes. It took 20 years for William Wilberforce to get... Uh, parliament to ban slavery in the English empire. It's probably going to take us longer to get rid of abortion in the land. Speak up. Speak up for the oppressed. Work for racial equity. One day, it was about 25, 30 years ago, I was sitting at the old firehouse community center. It was a Wednesday. We had a prayer meeting. Uh, There were several pastors and community leaders that were there for a prayer meeting. We were taking prayer requests, and one of the pastors there, his name was Benny, Pastor Benny. He passed away just a few years ago. Pastor Benny, he had a prayer request. He said, I want to pray, I want us to pray that the city of Gary would have a bank, that we would get a bank into our city. Now, Pastor Benny, he's a black man, and he's a pastor of a church on Harrison Street. Still there. Someone else is pastoring, but it's still there on Harrison Street. At the time, nearly 30 years ago, there wasn't a bank in the city of Gary. Folks that wanted to get a loan to buy a house had to go to Griffith or to Highland or to Munster and attempt to secure a loan. He wanted to have a bank. There was another man there that piped up. He was a dentist. And he gently rebuked Pastor Benny. And the rebuke had something along these lines. Well, we really don't want to be concerned about so much about money and, 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 and that we need to be much more involved about seeing people come to know Christ and have their souls saved, of course, and, and, and so forth, and, and then work out their lives in holiness. He was speaking along those lines. Pastor Benny, who was very evangelical, I was with him one day. He was the director of the Youth for Christ in our local area. I was with him one day in Griffith when he was leading a chapter, and he was actually leading men to Christ, young, young men, to Christ on that particular day sharing the gospel. Pastor Benny had this response. He said to the dentist, at Thanksgiving time and at Christmas, and the dentist was white, he said, all you white folks come into Gary and you bring picnic baskets. I want to give our people a bank. That's the difference between compassion and justice. Justice. Build bridges across the color barriers. Help the poor. Help the foster kids. There's so many, more and more, who don't think that their lives matter. And in Christ's love and in his grace, when the issue of the LGBTQ things come up, say no. I say in Christ's love and Christ's grace, I pray that people are actually reaching out into some of the gay communities in the city of Chicago. Some are called, I pray, then they are to minister, to speak up for what's true, unchangingly true. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And to say no to the movement, to adopting children, gay couples adopting children. I know there are a lot of churches that are saying yes today. Your pastor today in keeping with what I see in the Word of God and what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of of God and of heaven? No. No. We should not go that direction. Become members or pastors of a church? If you're living in a sexually immoral lifestyle, which we're calling sexually immoral? No. No. Elders, deacons of the church? No. Unmarried? Not willing to marry? Members and leaders? No. Same-sex marriage? No. These are hot-button issues for today. But in Christ's love... And grace, because that's the mark of the kingdom. love, love and holiness. It's by the grace of God that we are what we are today, Saints, holy in Christ, growing in holiness. We still sin. God has changed our name from sinners to saints, but it's His grace, and we reach out with grace and mercy and love. We dare to say no. We dare to say, I can still love you. I do love you. I cannot accept the lifestyle, though. And don't tell me that I don't love you if I don't accept your lifestyle. It's not true. God loved us when we were in our lifestyle, and his son died as proof of it. We have to live that way. Love and holiness marry together as we share the gospel of grace. But the government is not our Lord. Caesar is not our Lord. As citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we work out our citizenship here too and we pray for our leaders. As citizens here, we pray for our leaders and we show them respect. We pay our taxes. We vote as our conscience moves us, or we don't vote at all as our conscience moves us. But the government is not our Lord. Jesus Christ is our Lord. This is what we're proclaiming today. Our primary allegiance is to the kingdom of God. Our citizenship is in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Let's live Lives that are in keeping with what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. Worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul continues on and he says, stand firm. Would you turn again to Ephesians there? Follow with me. We're in verse number 27. Stand firm. In one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. How do we stand firm in such a messed up time? Paul sets us an example in our personal lives to love the Lord Jesus Christ, to be overwhelmed by his love, to have a life of prayer, to want to do his will. Paul was loved by Christ and he loved Christ and he wanted more than to be with Christ. He said it would be better by far if I left right now and went to be with Jesus Christ. That's more desirable by far but Paul was so loved by Jesus, and he loved Jesus so much that there was something that he wanted more than to be with him, and that was to do the will of Jesus. It is more necessary for me to remain, Paul said, and so I will, for your progress in the faith. Paul just wanted this to happen with his life, whether he departed, whether he died, went to be with the Lord, or was living, and that was that he would honor God and Christ in his body. That word literally, that word honored that you see in verse number 20, where it says, um, with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. That word honored, a better translation is magnified. Because the Greek word there, megaluno, is the same one that Mary used. We say it all the time at Christmas time. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God. My Savior, my question for you today in your personal life of standing firm is does your life magnify Jesus Christ? When people see how you carry yourself in the workplace, when your family gathers together for the family events and they watch your life and they look at you, when you're in the school system or wherever you are, Whether you're having a hard time or whether there's COVID going on or anything going on, is Christ magnified in your body? And then in the church, because Paul's writing to the church of Philippi. He's writing to you today, writing to me today, Church of Beacon Light. He says, stand firm in one spirit. This means all of us coming together, unity, being one spirit. What's your prayer life like? That's why we were confessing this morning. You can't live a life that's in the spirit, led by the spirit, walk by faith, unless you're praying, praying without ceasing. What's your prayer life like? The strength of our church I maintain here at Beacon Light, the great strength of our church, and why we continue to move forward with any strength, any power, Any ability to advance the kingdom is because of our prayer life. The prayer meetings on Wednesday morning are powerful. Praise the Lord. We're strengthened there. We're encouraged there. We have confidence to stand there. I do, as a pastor, you know an environment where I get strengthened more than any other place other than a prayer walk or something? It's that prayer meeting. I encourage you to meet with somebody. Get a prayer partner and pray together Where two or more are gathered, you can ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you by our Father in heaven. That's an assurance from the Word of God. One spirit. And then it says, one mind. The Greek word is pesuke, which means soul. One mind, one soul, one mind, one soul. You're together. We have one mind. How do we get one mind? And tie that together with one soul. Intellectually, are we united? Are we one intellectually in our mind in the way we think? Are we one in our affections, our soul? Is our mind and our heart aiming toward the same thing? Is it focused on Jesus and on the Word of God? How do we get there? That's why we keep talking about biblical literacy. Read the Word of God. Be steeped in it. Steep your mind in the Word of God. Our true foundation is Jesus Christ and his word. Sometimes we do a a catechism. Question and answer number one, what is your only comfort in life and in death? In a little bit, we're going to recite the creed together. Right now you're hearing the word of God preached, and you're testing it right now by the spirit. Is what he's saying true? If you're able to say amen together with great numbers in here, we are building unity in our mind. A oneness of mind and affection that enables us to stand firm in these messed up times. And then we're to contend together side by side. It's an athletic phrase. Paul uses a lot of athletic phrases. He's speaking of how to contend. But you've got to do it together. We translate it here side by side. It's contending together. Worship together like we're doing here today. Stick together. Hold each other accountable when there's sin going on. Be iron sharpening iron. Encourage each other as you meet together. Stand together. Suffer together with courage and without fear. Not frightened, it says here. Right? Right? not frightened in anything by your opponents. Brothers and sisters, when your leaders lead right and they show courage and love for the Lord, and when we do this together as a body, when we stand together in these perilous times which are doing all... The movement, the impulse of the age is is pulling people together all over the place. And yet the church... When it stands together, and I don't mean... uh, If I go that direction again, I'll sound like I'm just absolutely beating a dead horse, but we can't accomplish this virtually. Virtual is a supplement. It will help us. It's a tool. It will aid us. There are benefits from it all. We can even worship that way in a valid way as long as primarily... Centrally, we hold together as brothers and sisters, as human beings, as a family, as a body. This, what's happening today at 11 o'clock in the morning, all over the world, is the testimony and the witness to the world that Jesus is the answer And for those who will not repent, who are impenitent, here's what awaits them. Destruction. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. Your standing together today is a sign of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. We're in a crisis now. There are many crises throughout human history. We're in one right now for truth. Moral relativity. Thank you, Jared, for the Sunday school lesson this morning. Moral relativity. Are there any absolutes? Is God really, really there? Is he transcendent? Is he over everything? Is he the same yesterday, today, and forever? Is he immutable? Does he communicate his character to the watching world and call all of his creation to reflect his character, to not violate his nature and character, especially those made in his image human beings? That's what's being contended for. Understand the times right now. Stand firm, immovable. And beacon light, we must take our place. We're small. That doesn't matter if we're small. It really doesn't. There are churches all over the place, all over the world that are standing firm. Pray to God there'll be many more. We need a revival. We are small. I remind you, of the greatest battle that was ever fought on American soil, that was Gettysburg. Civil War. Right in the middle of Civil War. 1863. 10,000 soldiers, nearly 10,000 soldiers died within three days. Another 30,000, 40,000 were wounded in three days of battle. Gettysburg. It's a battle for the union of the nation. It took place 85 miles away from Washington, D.C. General Lee, General Lee, governing the Confederate forces, was marching toward Washington, only 85 miles away. And then Gettysburg happened. The battlefield was nearly two miles long. The south took Seminary Ridge. The north took Cemetery Ridge two-mile-long forces facing each other. At the far left of the Union forces, the northern forces, at the far left edge of that line was a little outcrop of rock called Little Round Top. It was the end of the line for the Union forces. General Lee knew that if he could have his army come around the edge of Little Round Top and outflank the Union forces there, he could roll up that Union line and the victory would be won at Gettysburg. General Lee brought a lot of forces up in the front. There was a massive battle going in the very middle, but it was partly so that he could, without being noticed as much, send General Longstreet around the edge. And Longstreet sent some to come around the edge, and they did. They came to Little Round Top. They almost found it unoccupied. The Union realized they didn't have people there like they were supposed to be there at the last minute. Colonel Vincent sent another colonel, Colonel Chamberlain, to go and man... Take 300 of his men to that spot, little round top. And he said, hold it. This is the edge. This is the left flank of our lines. Hold it at all costs. You must be immovable. Chamberlain did. Hold it at all costs, and he did. And Chamberlain was brave. He was taught by a man named Ames. Wasn't a very loving man, but he told Chamberlain long ago while Chamberlain was training, two things an officer must do to lead men. You must care for your men and show physical courage. The Confederate forces outnumbered the Union by three to one, but they had to come up the rocks, and the Union was firing down. Chamberlain's forces ran out of ammunition almost totally. One more surge by the Confederates was going to cut them down. The Union would be cut down. Chamberlain, recognizing this, just briefly, you can read it yourself, gave a command. He just said, bayonets. And they fixed bayonets. A major, one of the majors in Colonel Chamberlain's group, was very impetuous. He didn't even need to wait for the (laughs) go-forward charge. He took off running with his sword flashing, and Chamberlain and the rest followed him with their bayonets, no bullets. And the Confederates ran. For the first time for so many of these, it's the first time they'd ever seen a Confederate run. But they ran. And the victory was won that day at Little Round Top. And the victory was won for Gettysburg that day because they held fast at Little Round Top. They were immovable. And the union was saved that day because of what happened at Little Round Top at Gettysburg in Pennsylvania in 1863. Paul was a leader. He cared and he loved the little church of Philippi. And Paul was absolutely fearless. His life and his letter encouraged these Philippians because they were going to need to stand firm because they were going to suffer. And he helped them. That's why he said, it's better for me to stay. He helped them to progress in their faith. Paul understood the times and he stood firm and he was telling them to stand firm and to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ I don't think that this letter to Philippi that Paul wrote was meant to be a circular letter, that it was meant to go around to other places. But that, in fact, divinely, sovereignly, providentially, is what has happened. That letter that was written to the little church in Philippi 2,000 years later has circled around and it has arrived to us this morning here at Beacon Light. Paul is writing to us this morning directed by the Holy Spirit. And the call upon our life by the Apostle Paul, by Jesus Christ, and by God Almighty is let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live a life of love and holiness and good deeds. Encourage one another to stand firm for the faith of the gospel, for truth, and for Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus said this, When the Son of Man comes to this earth, will he find faith on earth? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're here this morning to testify that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior. That he indeed di- did die for us and that he has been raised from the dead. There is a resurrection from the dead, and your son, Jesus Christ, rules. Father, the world needs the church right now, whether it knows it or not, with Jesus at its head. The world needs Jesus, the world needs his body, the church. Help us to recognize the times and to stand firm. In Jesus' name, amen.